So we are in week two, and let me just echo uh, what Pastor Tim said. Um, man, last Sunday was an incredible day at our, in our church. Um, we, we dedicated seven children, um, four families, seven children, and I tried, we tried our best, Pastor Aaron, myself, as we kind of thought through this, of just making it, we wanted to make it special for the families, we wanted to make it special for uh, the extended family that was here, and then we wanted to make sure that our church understood the buy-in, and so we are 100% believers in the fact that we all need help as we raise our families and raise our children, and we're not by any means the parent of your children, but we are supporters of the parents of your children. That's you, <laughs> if you're in this room, and so we want to come along beside you, and, um, and so I praise the Lord for that. Um, just a, a great day. I will say this, we were uh, just 15 or so people away from breaking our attendance record last week, and so I just want to throw that out there. Uh, the attendance record, if it's ever broken, I will wear a UNC t-shirt, and you had an opportunity to make me wear a UNC t-shirt today, and it didn't happen. So I did wear my Duke blue shoes and a 2001 national championship shirt underneath this that I will not show you today, um, but I just want to pray, I just want to say a word of prayer for, the, for everyone. No, I'm just kidding. I, I got to be good because we know how this works. We know how this works. It comes around. What goes around comes around <clears throat> and all that good stuff, right? Uh, I was encouraged last week to have about 15 or so <clears throat> of the Spanish congregation with us last Sunday. And just so you guys are aware, we're in the beginning process. We will obviously bring this before you officially once we're there. We're in the early processes of them becoming a part of our church and relaunching as Keystone and Espanol. That's the goal. Uh, they're on board with that. They're going to work their people through it. And basically what we'll do, <clears throat> we'll begin training them, their people. They don't really have a, like an invite culture. They don't have like, a lot of the, the just the kind of inner workings that we do. We'll begin training them. We'll set a date for when they'll launch. And we're going to be a part of that. We're going to make sure they're outfitted. We're going to make sure the, the word gets out in the community, yard signs, uh, Facebook ads. We're going to build a website for them, all the different types of things. And they'll be um, a ministry of us. And so... Uh, that's, in, like I said, in the early stages, but there were a solid 15 of them last Sunday. They had a wonderful time. Thank you so much for welcoming them, especially those that stayed and maybe ate chili and were able to interact with them a little bit. Um, that was very, I very much appreciated that. So pray for Pastor Armando um, and as he leads the church there. They're going to begin meeting here today at 2 o'clock. If you ever want to just come hang out, I'll be here today with them at 2. If you ever want to come hang out and, and, and experience Spanish worship, uh, come at 2 o'clock if you'd like. Um, that will be a great thing, and, and we're going to work through all the schedules and stuff later, but for now, they're going to be here at 2 o'clock on Sundays. So, we're in the book of Galatians, Gospel 101, Gospel 101, and last week, we simply introduced the book a little bit. We, the first five verses or so of, of the chapter, we spoke about Galatia and how Paul was directly connected to that church because he had just completed his first first missionary journey that took him through the region of Galatia. He did not have a great experience. Okay, He did not have a great experience there. He planted churches. He led people to Jesus. He preached the gospel that said you don't have to be a Jew in order to come to salvation. And what did that do? They got mad at him and they chased him. They got a hold of him and they stoned him. They got a hold of him again and left him for dead. He preaches the gospel at the next town and turns around, and what does he do? He comes right back through those same cities, strengthening those churches, strengthening those believers. 
And he finds himself at the conclusion of his first missionary journey, his heart burdened for those people. He immediately wants to write back to them because evidently, and once again, I don't believe I'm even reading into scripture here, evidently him going back and strengthening those believers, he still felt like there were some stones to be that were left unturned. He felt like there was still need for him to follow up with a letter that would be passed around to those churches there in the region of Galatia. So that's where we found ourselves. Today we're going to deal with this topic in Galatians chapter 1, and that is dealing with false gospels. Dealing with false gospels. Uh, back two or three years ago, a trend started on social media. You remember the social media red flag trend? Like red, it was saying like red flags and then something. So basically like watch out. A lot of them had to do with relationships. Um, this is what Paul is doing. He is saying, churches at Galatia, here's some red flags of false doctrine. Let me give you some red flags from social media. You ready? First one. This is one of, close to my heart right here. Dictionary.com said, said this way. <clears throat> if, he, if he or she uses two, two, and two interchangeably. That's a red flag. So, uh, you know, not going to lie. Proper grammar is high on my list. And so uh, here's the second one. Here's a good one. Cookies. The cookie monster said, when me hear someone say they don't like cookies, that's a red flag, right? So when you hear someone that doesn't like it, anybody here not like cookies, raise your hand. All right, see? That's a red flag. If someone raised their hand, that was a red flag. Oh, this is a good one. No, you gotta get, this is a relationship one. All right, third one. Let me find a good picture of him. <laughs> let me translate that. He ugly. All right, so let me just let me translate that. Let me find a good picture of him. In plain English means this dude's ugly. All right, so red flag, red flag. All right, here's a good one for me. Brian, get ready. Is that it? Oh, that's it. All right. Green bubbles on the text. What does that mean? Android, red flag. All right, if they got an Android, red flag, red flag. A couple of things you know. They will send you videos that are like this tiny. You cannot see them. They're very grainy. And the Android people don't even understand it, but they send tiny videos. So that's a red flag. And then I, I had to pick on myself on this one, last one. You ready? Duncan, I don't drink coffee. Red flag. Well, guys, I don't drink coffee. So uh, red flag, red flag. I had a guy uh, who uh, runs an organization that helps pastors text me to meet this week. And he's like, let's meet for coffee. Let's meet for coffee. Finally, I'm like, look, dude, why don't you just come to the church and bring your own coffee? I don't drink coffee. And he did. So it was great. Red flags. And that, those are humorous. And there were many more, some that I could share with you and others that I couldn't share with you um, this morning. And if you look online and, and find some red flags. But all that to say, this is what the Apostle Paul was basically saying to the churches at Galatia. He was saying there are some red flags that he saw as he went through the region and then as he made his way back through the region, strengthening the churches. Let's read in our text this morning. Galatians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, great. If you have an app on your phone, that's great. And we also have the verses on the screen for you as well. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, I marvel... That you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ. To a different gospel. Which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I'm going to give you very quickly before I pray the context of that final verse. It doesn't seem to fit, and to be honest with you, it doesn't necessarily fit with the next verse that we'll pick up on next Sunday. But if we understand the context of the book of Galatians, last week we said they were coming after the man and his message. They were questioning his apostleship. Was he a true apostle? And they were questioning if what he said was the truth. And I believe this is a verse where Paul says, hey, I just wanted to remind you guys, I'm not in this to please the Jews. I'm not in this to please the Gentiles. I'm not in this to please the Pharisees. I'm not in this to please fill in the blank. I am in this strictly to please God. And Paul reminds the church, the churches at Galatia, that, hey, listen, I almost died. I, I believe what he's saying there is, listen, I, I came back to you after being left for dead. I came back to you after being stoned. I came back to you to strengthen you. I care about you. I love you. I'm not in this to please anyone else but God. And so that's the context of that verse that we won't necessarily deal with today because it is kind of a, it's a great quotable verse, and I, it may, it's, it's very important, but it doesn't really fit in this text and the following text. So it's almost like, Paul, maybe like myself, have like ADHD. And he was like, let me throw this in here real quick. And then he came back to what he was doing. Let's pray together and let's jump into the text this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We pray that you would speak through your word. God, that you would uh, illuminate not only this text to us, but then give us wisdom as we discern truth in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us to get rolling in the sermon today because I want us to... Be informed academically, but I also want us to be um, transformed in our hearts, and I want us to be more sure in our hearts of the gospel that you and I believe. Number one, I want us to see this this morning. False gospels must be exposed. False gospels must be exposed. Look at the first two verses of our text this morning, verses six and seven. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would, who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. I believe if you've spent any time at Keystone Church, and by the way, if this is your first time with us or first time in a long time, I want to welcome you today. But if you've spent any time around us and our church, I believe that you have sensed that we want to be known more for what we are for than for what we're against. I believe that the sense uh, that, that I hope that we project as a church is that, is that man, we're for um, people that are maybe a little bit different than us. We're for maybe churches that believe things a little bit different than us, that we're for them, that within, you know, uh, uh, within a uh, mile that way is Bragtown Baptist Church. Within uh, two miles that way is Revolve Church two radically different churches and we fall somewhere in the middle and we're for that one and we're for that one okay um 
So I believe that's been the, the culture that we have cultivated here in our church. However, may I say this this morning, there are times when if you are going to properly stand for something that requires you to stand against the opposition. May I say that? And I think that's a logical conclusion. That if we're going to stand for something, man, y'all know this music's running through my head, right? right? I'm, not going, I'm not going there this morning, but the Bible says you've got to stand for something. Or you're, I mean, the Bible doesn't say that, but anyway. Um, but, uh, but when you stand for something, there's going to come a point in time where you have to say, because I stand for this, I must stand against that. We joke about it. If you're going to be a true UNC fan this morning, and you're going to be a true fan, not only do you stand for UNC, but you stand, Sam, wholeheartedly anti-Duke, correct? Some of y'all crazy. You're like, I'll play for Duke when they're not playing Carolina. I'm like, no, no, y'all ain't from around here. Y'all, mu- <laughs> y'all moved here from somewhere else. Like, let's be real. And if you're a Duke fan, you are pro-Duke and you are anti Tim Currington is an Ohio State fan. During the week that Ohio State plays Michigan, Ohio State fans will not even use the letter M. Right? They use an X instead of M. Is that correct? So sometimes, in order to stand for things, which we want to stand for things, we want to be positive in our posture. But sometimes in order to be positive in our posture towards the truth, we have to stand against the things that oppose the truth. In this context, we must learn, number one, what a false gospel is, which we're going to address that in point number two. But then we must be willing to lovingly and appropriately confront false doctrine, whether it be within the walls of our church or whether it be outside the walls of our church or whether it be in some other form. We must be willing to stand for and stand against. Why? Because false gospels must be exposed. They must be exposed. I do find it interesting here that the way Paul verbalizes it, he first calls it a different gospel. You see that? Did you notice that in the text? But then he follows it up quickly with, well, well not, not necessarily a, another gospel, but someone that would pervert the gospel, right? So I want us to understand this. False, false teaching does not typically say, hello, my name is Pastor so-and-so. I would like to bring you some false teaching. That's not the way it works. They don't brand themselves as another gospel. They don't brand themselves. So Paul is saying, listen, it's not going to be completely different. There's going to be elements of good teaching. There's going to be elements of right teaching but it's going to be infiltrated with wrong teaching. Hey, Jeff, would you? I think there's somebody on the sidewalk trying to come in that keeps distracting me. Check on that for me. I appreciate it. I want to let people in. Maybe they thought it was 1030 and they're really late. But anyway. Um, but the false gospel is not going to be, let me introduce myself as a false gospel. It's going to be, hey, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. Oh, no. That's not a good thing. Okay? So you must understand that. So number one, false gospels must be exposed they must be exposed and can we agree with that if if we see a false gospel a false teaching a heretical teaching as a church it's our job 
to expose that. Now, that doesn't mean that maybe I address it from the pulpit, per se. It could be that, that we address it privately with someone, but false teaching must be exposed. Why? Because it matters. It's a big deal. And then secondly, this morning, I want us to see this. False gospels must be explained. Must be explained. And let me ask you this question this morning. How, and don't raise your hand, but how would you define the gospel? How would you define the gospel? Something that's so drastically important to our lives should be clearly and thoroughly defined. Can I tell you in a very, very basic way how Paul defined it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. This is the gospel. Which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all, here's the gospel, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now that is a very, very biblically based definition of the gospel. It is, in its very simplest form, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? That is the gospel and the truth that you and I believed for our salvation. It is that, well, I'm not going to, I'm not, that is, that is, that is it. Let me give you some definitions of the gospel that maybe can help you. Alistair Begg, who has one of the coolest, um, what do you call those things? Accents. One of the coolest accents in the world. He says it this way. Because Christ died for us, those who trust in him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What will we have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing. Christ died in my place. Because Christ died for us, those who trust in him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What we have to say before the bar of God's judgment, only one thing, Christ died in my place. That's a great way of verbalizing the gospel. Another man with a really cool accent, N.T. Wright, says it this way. When Paul talks about the gospel, he means the good news that the crucified and risen Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and therefore the Lord of the world. He's very much a historical uh, theologian. I believe those are two incredible ways to describe the gospel. Can I tell you my definition of the gospel? And I believe this is, encompasses the heart of the New Testament. My definition is the good news of how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus transforms every aspect of this life and the life to come. First of all, it's the gospel. The word means good news. So it's good news. And it's how that death and burial and resurrection that we just, that Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians, how it transforms every aspect of my life both today and in eternity. 
I believe those definitions can help us. And leave that one up for a second. Define the true gospel. The true gospel. So if that be the true gospel this morning, church, may I ask this question? What would then be classified as a false gospel? Remember, a false gospel is not going to come to you and say, I am a false gospel. So can we just go ahead and say, and I'm, I'm just going to, remember, if we're going to stand for, we have to also understand what, what we're against. The Islamic community stands 100% against the teachings of Christianity in the sense of Jesus being God's son, perfect, sinless, holy, died on the cross for our sins, buried the third day, rose again. That's not what we're talking about today, per se. They stand against that. That is part of the makeup of their religion. Okay? May I say this one? Another one that makes us a little bit more uncomfortable. The, the Judaism of today. The Jewish, Orthodox Jewish religion of today. They are still waiting on their Messiah. They deny that Jesus is who he said that he was. So they're still waiting on that Messiah. And so I'm not talking about those things. We're not talking about false gospels today that, that come out and, and say and make it very obvious. What we're talking about today in a false gospel is simply this. A false gospel is Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus fill in the blank. It's Jesus plus anything to bring fulfillment, to bring salvation, to bring happiness, to bring peace, to bring security. Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. A false gospel is Jesus' righteousness coupled with anything, including our righteousness. The only righteousness, a quote that I came across, the only righteousness by which we can ever possibly be saved is an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness, a righteousness that is apart from us. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ plus nothing. Plus nothing. In the context of the book of Galatians, as last week we opened up our Bibles also to Acts chapter 13 and 14 and saw Paul's interaction in Galatia on his missionary journeys, the false gospel that was being promoted was kind of twofold. In, in, in one way, it was that the Gentiles could become believers in Jesus. And we've studied that extensively in the New Testament. It's the huge theme is that no, the Jews had to come to grips with the reality that Gentiles could become followers of Jesus. That was one part they got mad about and pushed in the false doctrine in the church. And then the second part, as a result of that, the Jewish believers were then, well, okay, well, if you're going to come become a believer, you have to also be circumcised. You have to follow this, this law, this Old Testament law, and this Old Testament law, and this law. If you're going to do it, then Gentiles, you got to go all in. you got to do this, this, and that. Those are the two in context of the book of Galatians, false gospels that were being presented. So the first part of the false gospel was that, that the gospel was exclusive to the Jews. 
And can I say this? The gospel is inclusive to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel is inclusive. But the false teaching here was that the gospel was not. And I, I'm not, I'm going to tread lightly right here, but I'm, I want us to understand this. Any faction of theological beliefs that tells you that Jesus did not die for fill in the blank, I do not accept. And I would stand against. And I'll stop there, but if you have any questions about that, you see me. I'd love to talk to you. And then the second part was that, yes, okay, if you're going to come to faith in Christ as a Gentile, you must also follow these traditional Jewish rules. Both of those were false. Honestly, nearly every time you see Paul or Peter or any other New Testament apostle or, or pastor addressing false gospels, it almost always has to do with those two things. The exclusivity of the Jews and the requirements of the law. What have we now seen as a result of Jews not gaining that exclusivity of the gospel? I mean, listen, maybe you've never connected these dots. It was the Jewish religious leaders that were pushing against Jesus. Jewish religious leaders pushing against Paul and Peter. What has that resulted in today? I just mentioned it a few minutes ago. Their religion now has totally rejected the Jesus of the Bible and are still awaiting their Messiah. I'm not, and I'm not here to throw stones today. I'm here to preach kind of the results of them leading that false gospel and leading that false teaching. What would false gospels look like in our current cultural climate there are obviously easy false gospels to spot but then i believe there may be some not so obvious some more subtle false doctrines that we need to consider especially as we and i'm for this as we consume preaching and teaching outside of our church i will promise you this to the best of my ability i will bring you truth from god's word every sunday but you have access Every other day of the week, every other week, hour of the week to the internet and to different things. And so as we're consuming content, could we remember those that would preach a promise of fortune, fame, and financial enrichment to those who follow Jesus? You say, Josh, that's like the crazy. No, it's not just like the Kenneth Copeland crazy people. It's infiltrated its way into the church. Of God wants to bless your life, I believe that. Amen. But God wants to bless your life in ways that only he understands and knows. Nowhere in scripture does God say he wants to bless your life by giving you everything that you want. Nowhere. Nowhere. In fact, what is the promise? They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. We need to watch subtle hints at 
if you will follow Jesus, if you'll pray just a little bit more, he's going to send you that Cadillac. He might. It might be from like 1984 and need a whole lot of work. All right, there you go. We need to watch the prosperity gospel. What about legalism that would preach that while you may pray a prayer to receive Jesus, you then have all of these check marks and boxes that you must check in order to truly gain favor and fulfillment from God? I'm going on limb here. I think it's a false gospel. Don't tell people from my past. I don't believe we just recite a prayer and then it's all up to us. Jesus, I'm going to heaven one day and now, man, I got a heck of a road to travel here on my own and I got to do this and I got to do that. And if I don't do this, man, you're ticked off and you're mad and I got to go back over here now. I didn't do this. Now you're mad at me again. And A true gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. Now, that does not mean that we teach and preach here that you can believe in Jesus and do whatever in the world you want and everything's fine. No, 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 no. We preach through the book of James. We hit on that. We'll, we'll go to the book of 1 John one day, and I'll, it'll, it'll really blow your mind about what it means to have assurance of your salvation. We don't teach that at all, but we, we also don't teach that you must continue to strive in order to please, in order to be in favor with God. Remember, a false gospel is any sort of teaching that would add even the smallest amount of human work to the finished work of Jesus. And then lastly this morning, and we're done, false gospels must be eradicated. I had to leave the E, you know, because I'm a good pastor. I'm just kidding. I typically don't do this, and I make fun of people that do. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, back in our text. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And he's like, in case you didn't understand. As we've said before, so now I say again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you other than what you have received, let him be accursed. That word accursed, it may say in your translation, anathema. It literally means like reprehensible. In fact, in context, it was basically calling, asking God to curse them. Paul says, literally, by the way, may God curse you. Paul says if a preacher or teacher is actively, knowingly preaching false gospels, he prays. That God would curse him. He prays anathema. He says they are reprehensible. I would say Paul is pretty aggressive as he speaks on those who promote a false gospel. We must give no place to false teaching in our personal lives as well as corporately in our local church. I will say this, from time to time, we'll have people preach in our church, and we'll have, in fact, my friend Chris Hankins is going to be preaching for us in the next uh, few weeks from um, uh, Carolina Movement, our church planting partners. 
And Chris and I are good friends, but Chris and I see differently on certain things, and that's okay. But I will promise you this, if anyone ever stands behind our pulpit and preaches something that I would deem false, I will come up the next Sunday and appropriately correct anything false that's ever said behind this pulpit, including myself. Because it means that much and it is that important. It means that I should limit the influence of people in my life that I don't trust to present the whole counsel of God and a true teaching to me. It means that I should seek out pure gospel preaching preachers and teachers to listen to and watch online. Because what's the best way to spot the counterfeit? is to get to know the, the original, to get to know the real. This does mean that I and the elders in this church have a responsibility to a- approach any sort of false doctrine that would be taught in our church, as I mentioned. It means that we would lovingly and appropriately confront that in any situation within our church because we want to lead you well. And we do not want to give place to false teaching. I close in this this morning. I understand the upbringing that many of you had. Um, And it's different. Some of us were brought up in certain types of churches. Some of us were brought up in other types of churches. And more than we ever know, those formidable days of our lives as children, most of all, we really did learn by experience, right, in church. We learned what the gospel was. By the way, no prosperity preacher thinks, he, he doesn't think that he's doing that. Right, So it's not necessarily intentional. I don't believe the legalists, I don't believe they intentionally try to add to. I don't believe it's intentional, but it's a part of the culture. And so my concluding challenge to you today, especially to those if you've been in the church culture for a long time, or maybe not, Do you believe the truly biblical gospel? Okay? And let me dig a little bit deeper here. You ready? This is for the church people too. Do you deep down in your soul believe that your good works have anything to do with your standing with God? Be honest with yourself. I'm going to ask that question again, churchgoer. Do you deep down in your soul believe that your good works have anything to do with your standing in Christ before God? I told you last week, one of the themes of the book of Galatians is that the Galatians is all about the gospel, but Galatians was written to believers. And that we as believers never grow away from the gospel. We grow deeper in the gospel. And maybe for some today that's been in church and enriched in church and ingrained in church. 
maybe today's enlightenment of the gospel is, you know what? I really have begun to trust in the things that I'm doing. You know, I really have given weight to my standing before God based upon my good works. And, and think about it. If you live like that, when you do good works, you're prideful. When you don't do good works, you live in guilt. Both of those are sinful. If you live deep down thinking your good works earn your standing before God, when you do right, you have pride. I won. I checked all the boxes. I got the church, you know, acknowledged me and all the good things that I've done. Pride. When you fail, man, I, I'm not even going to go to church today because I don't even want to see those people because I failed again. And I live in guilt. As we conclude, Alistair Begg said it this way. Because Christ died for us, those who trust in him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What will we have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing. Christ died in my place. N.T. Wright, this way. When Paul talks about the gospel, he means the good news that the crucified and risen Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and therefore the Lord of the world. And some random pastor in Durham. The good news of how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus transforms every aspect of this life and the life to come. That is the true gospel. And my question to you today whether you're here for the very first time, whether you've never been in church before, whether you've never heard the good news of the gospel, or whether you've been in church your entire life, my question to you today is, do you believe the true gospel? Because I hate to break it to you, honey. That's my southern drawl today. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do to earn your standing in your favor before God. Nothing. When you stand before the Lord in judgment, Christ died in my place. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. It was Jesus plus nothing, nothing. And so I invite you today, if you have never believed that gospel, man, that's, it's so liberating and freeing. When you lay it down and say it's all Jesus and it's none of me, it's so liberating. I want to invite you into that today. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. It acknowledges this. It acknowledges our failures. The good news begins with bad news. It's that you and I are sinners. We were born that way. We're perfect. We're great at it. Perfect in, in that we're perfect sinners. We're good at it, man. Parents, give a shout out to your kids right here, right? You didn't have to teach them how to disobey. Little experts at disobedience. Little sinners. Some of them are in this service right now. At least two of them are. Just um, it's by default. Romans chapter 5. By one man sinned into the world, Adam. So death passed upon all men for the all sin. Every one of us. That's a problem. And there's a penalty for sin. Just like when you were growing up, man, your parents, I hope, 
There was a penalty for wrongdoing. And there was a penalty globally for sin. And that was Romans 6. And the wages or penalty of sin is death. So because of sin, we had to die. Think back to Adam and Eve. Was one of the parts of the, of the fall man curse was death. This is not just physical death. This is a separation from our creator God. It's a spiritual death. There is a gulf that's, that's cast between our creator and sin. And in our sin, we are separated from him. But God, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, he wanted to demonstrate. Or the, a good word for that is showcase his love. He wanted to show it off. This is how much I love you. Demonstrate his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't stay dead, but he died on the third day, <clears throat> according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, he rose. He lives in victory. He rose and triumphed over sin, over the grave, over death. He did it for you. Do you believe that this morning? Have you believed that? If you've never believed that this morning, would today be the day? You say, Josh, you don't understand, man. I've been in church for a long time. I didn't ask you that. God said there's going to be people, Jesus said there's going to be people who cast out demons in his name. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. I didn't ask you where you went to church. I didn't ask you if your mom and daddy's name's on a church pew somewhere. I ask you, have you believed the gospel? Church, church goer non-churchgoer heard it 150 million times heard it for the first time today I ask you all do you believe the biblical true gospel heavenly father thanks for listening today if you're listening for the first time we would love to hear from you maybe you have a question about the gospel of jesus if so we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.